Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 220. Today is Sunday, the 22nd of January, 2017, and we're back with Lizette Sutherland, a rare and bona fide expert in remote work, as well as being director of Collaboration Superpowers. Lizette helps corporations increase and improve distance work. In this conversation, we discuss the future of work, the differences between cultures in onboarding remote work, and some of the keys to making the best remote working conditions. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. I have from, I'd say, still sunny Holland, well, a sunny face, Lizette Sutherland. Happy to have you on the show. So tell us, Lizette, who you are and what you do and what is your mindset? How do you describe your mindset, Lizette? Oh, I love the mindset question. I'll start with that and go then we'll go it. into maybe, yeah. So my mindset, when I was thinking about this, the only thing that came to mind was freedom, just freedom. And I think when people know what I do, it might make a little bit more sense. So what I've done is for the last three years, I've been interviewing people and companies who work remotely. One, because I'm very enthusiastic about the idea of being able to work from anywhere, but also because uh, I, I wanted to consolidate all of that information into a book, into sort of one, what are the best practices, tools, and tips of this day, of, of this age right now, of what we're doing now. I'm sure in 10 or 20 years when people look back and read the book, we will be laughing at the old-fashioned, archaic things that we're doing right now. We'll be in virtual reality uh, laughing about, oh, the good old days when we had to, uh, when we were all using Skype. So um, so I've been interviewing these people uh, to get their best practices and tips, and I'm consolidating it into a book that I'm going to release within the next couple of months. It's January 2017 right now, and within the, it's almost it's almost done. That's exciting. So, well, it yeah. must be it must be daunting. Uh, you and I were chatting beforehand about writing um, and you know doing a book, which by itself is daunting. But in the end of the day. Since you're talking about something that all the tools that are existing today, uh, you, there's like people writing about social media. There's this feeling of like you've got to constantly update. Oh, no, no, no there's a new one. There's a better one. And is that kind of the process you're in sometimes of, of updating new tools that you're finding out all the time? I, I actually, halfway through the book, I stopped mentioning the particular tools because oh. they were becoming outdated so quickly. Things go in and out of business all the time. And I really tried to focus on the things that are timeless so mm -hmm. behaviors, best practices, things that don't depend on the tool but are more processes. Yeah. Well, in the end uh, of the behaviors. day, in the end of the day, surely it is more about the attitude, the mindset, as opposed to the tools that make it work. Oh, for sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter which tool, whether you Skype or Zoom or some other uh, video tool. It really doesn't matter as long as you're connecting. Yeah, I mean, some way. people like so, it, yeah. people get all excited that this one's a little better than that one. Yeah, but just get off it, get over that. You know, they uh, they may be a little bit more, a little bit more less expensive, and so on. But you know, it, the principles are the same whether which one ever you're using. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I have this story of um, I worked on a team and we all used a wiki or I used a wiki to organize all the information and it was a brilliant system. You know, this table of contents, it linked to everything. Everything was interconnected and all beautifully organized. 
nobody used it on the team yeah. except me and one other person. Yeah. And while it was the perfect tool, it was the perfect system. If nobody uses it, yeah. it's not the perfect tool. So we changed to something else that was far less efficient, but everybody used it. Yeah. So that was the perfect tool. And don't tell me it was called email. <laughs> no, God, Just no, we kidding. didn't go that far back. <laughs> so, Lizette, you are an expert on, on remote work. Tell us a little bit about how you, what you do exactly and how you help people get better at remote work. Well, so I, I'm going to, I, I shirked a little bit at the word expert. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I am let, certainly. Let me call you. Let me, let me yeah. call you that. <laughs> okay. I will bask in you calling me. There you go. I feel very strange. I'm very enthusiastic about work. What I've done is as I was writing this book, I realized that I had a treasure trove of information and I'm really proud of the book. I'm really excited to put it out. But what I did is I took all the essentials from the book and I created the work together anywhere workshop. And so, and mostly I did it because it was requested. I got calls from, you know, as I was writing the book, I started getting calls from conferences saying, Hey, could you offer the workshop at our conference? And I thought, what workshop? Um, and I, and of course I just replied with, of course I'll offer Naturally. the conference. I made it up. You know, it's like, sure. You want to give me money? I will totally build that workshop. And the, I must say the first workshop was embarrassing to look, to look back on. But after having given the workshop probably, or I think over 40 times now, um, it's something that I'm really proud of, and I've seen how useful it is for people. Mm. And just to give a quick description of the workshop, it's I, I give it online or in person, and then there's hybrid sessions where we do half day in person and then two sessions online. And I try to encourage people to take it online, as I was telling you before, because right. if you want to learn how to work remotely, you should do it remotely. Push all the buttons, try out the things, see what it's like to be in a virtual office. And so I've designed it to really be online. And through the workshop, we use about 10 different tools as part of the workshop. So you actually get to try a video conferencing tool that maybe you haven't tried before. You get to come to a virtual office and see what it's like to actually be in a virtual office. You get to teleport to other countries. People are, who are listening won't be able to see this, but I have a Kubi. Oh, yeah. You've seen this before. Yeah, you can teleport to, uh, to my, my office here in the Netherlands. So you actually just get to try things out and see what it's like. And the thing that I've learned from putting the workshop together and putting the book together is that there's no formula to follow to be a successful remote worker. There's no one right path that mm -hmm. you can take in order to do it. It's a series of a bunch of little things that you have to massage into place that makes you an efficient, well-oiled machine. And it's not one thing that'll work for every team. One mm -hmm. tool that works for one team isn't going to work for the next mm -hmm. for the weirdest reasons. You know, maybe the people just aren't going to use it or, you, you just can't anticipate, or maybe there's security problems. You know, there's a lot of banks who take my workshops and they can't use half the tools because the IT department won't allow it. Like, you know, there's all these restrictions. But mm -hmm. when you massage these things into place, you can enhance the experience to make it much more human. Well, I'm sure we're surely going to get in, into it more in a second, Lizette. But as I listen to you, I think about how in the end of the day, the same kind of challenge happens for learning. Because if we're talking about remote work, there's also this challenge of, of uh, remote learning, or at least whether we should have the classroom on together, or we'd be able to do online learning, do a webinar, do a Skype, which is obviously a portion of work, but it's more a specialized portion. How do you, how do you read that? To how, Elizabeth, do you find that there is a complete parallel to the issue of learning in a classroom versus uh, blended uh, versus online and work? 
Oh, yeah. And uh, I should say, when I first started the workshop, I just thought, oh, I'll make a workshop. I didn't realize that actually there was a skill in teaching and an actual, you know, I it made me really respect people who are teachers and trying to, and trainers and people who are giving workshops, because that's a whole other art form that I had to to, to learn and I'm still not great at it, but you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my best and the, I, I know the workshop's good. If you're in a room together with people, it is, you've got all the senses, right? You've got people next to you. You can, you know, fist bump them and, you know, you can high five and do things. Um, and that's certainly more engaging. I know that there's a lot of courses out there that are, that are purely online that you can just watch and you do the exercises also useful, not as engaging, but for people who really want to learn the material, that's a great way to do it because they've got the motivation to learn it themselves. They simply need the information in order to integrate it. What I've gone away from, um, I've thought about doing those online courses, but I really like the interactive nature of the workshop that I do. We, it's, it's a group of eight people that meet online from all over the world, and we talk together because I don't want to be the expert saying, Here's all the information you need to know. People who are coming to this workshop also have their own wealth of information that's valuable to share. And so I think it's that that interaction with other people who are also going through the same thing that you are. There's always something magical about that, mm -hmm. whether it's online or in person. I have yeah. to say, I can't. We have such a good time in the workshops. The participants that have been in my workshop, we're still friends afterwards. We still email each other afterwards. I mean, there is a bond that is formed in in that in those four sessions. It's amazing. Well, I'm going to have to imagine that a portion of that is because of your energy and and your particular attitude. Because there are many people that that doesn't fly with. So obviously, you do a good setup. Where I wanted to go with that is that was in. In, in work, right? So whereas, let's say, as you were saying, anyone who is a trainer, that's a specific skill to engage, interact, have the, the learners appropriate the information that they're, you're trying to transmit to them. That's one gig. But in, in working, I, I would say that there's a, a lot of people that continue to operate as if they were in person and yet are operating through a screen. And that type of attitude, let's say I'm doing something on the on my table because I have a bad tick, you know, that for you and any of the listeners is a real pisser to listen to. Yeah. And so <clears throat> there are some things you need to adapt. You can't just be you doing what I usually do in a boardroom because that's where I am right. when you are operating through a remote work. So what are the kinds of things that you would pull out that would make remote working more successful, just like a teacher in an online classroom? Oh man, that, that is a good question. Thank I should, you. <laughs> I should, it's true because you can't take necessarily everything that happens in the physical world and translate that directly into the remote world. That doesn't work. One, one very obvious example is in the physical world, you can slide into a meeting at the last minute, sit down and be fully present. Whereas if you try to do that in a remote meeting, chances are your headset's not going to work. The microphone's not going to work. You're going to have to reboot your computer and you spend the first 10 minutes of the meeting mm. dealing with all of that equipment. So in the remote world, you can't slide in reliably at the last minute and simply be present at the meeting. It's, it's chances are something's going to go wrong. So that's one of the ways that the physical world doesn't translate. And there's a hundred other little examples. Mm. I mean, I have a colleague who calls in, um, from cafes, from the hairdresser, from the bus, from the, and it's just the way she is. And there's a lot of background noise on the call yeah. when she calls in that way. And it's very disturbing to other people on the call. 
So, you know, we've had to put uh, certain etiquettes in place, like mute yourself if you're not speaking and you're in a loud environment, if you're in a cafe environment. So whereas you wouldn't necessarily, you know, if you're at a coffee shop with people in person, there you don't even have to think about that kind of thing. Another thing people don't think about um, translating into the online world is like lighting, for instance. Mm-hmm. You and I are talking right now, and I realized that when we started the conversation, we're we're seeing each other, but the listeners, of course, are just hearing us. But I I turned on my lights that illuminate me because if I didn't do that uh, throughout the interview, I would just get darker and darker and darker. As it is in my place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're you're very well lit. But science shows. Uh, that we are, it's more engaging when we are lit well. So that's one of those things that you mm-hmm. don't think about when you mm-hmm. have to work remotely. If you're going to be doing client calls in the evening, or if you're in a place like the Netherlands where it gets dark at 4 p.m. in the winter, it's uh, you know that you're going to need to deal with that. If you have video calls, you need to have good lighting. You need to have um, a background that's not distracting mm-hmm. for people. If there's a lot of people walking back and forth in the background, then that's really distracting for the people who are on the video call with you. Mm-hmm. So these are the kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about but that don't translate between the two worlds so actually in the end of the day if i listen to you there's an element of a lot of details and there's also an element of empathy so i well i mean to the extent that if if you're not able to take in consideration how the other peoples are reacting to you and and are actually engaging with you then you'll lose them quicker and and have a less good engaged uh, conversation Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I think turning the video on during during meetings um, remotely. I mean, in the past, people have the old spider phones you know, that they're standing over in the middle of the conference room table, and people are calling in from their cars. And those kind of conference calls are renowned for people doing other things and multitasking, sure. where you're not even really listening. You're just waiting. In fact, some there was one guy I read about who created a bot where he could just tune out. And if somebody mentioned in the meeting his name, the bot would immediately respond with, oh, sorry, I was on mute. And then that gives him enough time to unmute himself in order to then re-ask the question. Like, I was on mute, could you re-ask the question? So, I mean, those kind of things are renowned. So in in meetings like this, you want to turn the video on in order to be more engaging, in order to have that empathy. So you can Mm. look into the other person's face, you can see if they're tired, you can see if they're distracted. Are they listening? All of, I mean, that, to me, turning the video on is one of the, or not turning the video on is one of the biggest mistakes that most companies and people make when they're working remotely. And I'm not saying you have to have it on all the time for every single call, but people always say like, oh, but how do you get that camaraderie on the team? How do Mm -hmm. we bond with each Mm -hmm. other? And I think turn the video on because Mm -hmm. you bond with each other when you see each other. I mean, you don't have to be in the same room. You just have to see the person. Of course, it's nice if you give a hug or you shake a hand. I mean, of course that's nice, but how, you know, what if you can't, then what? Yeah. So, um, Lizette, you, you, um, you and I were talking about how you travel around the world and, and you get to do this uh, seminar in so many different places. And, and, and I've had the chance, tremendous chance to work around the world as well. And I've seen a lot of things. But I was wondering where, well, let's first of all start with how is, how much remote work is being done? Is there a way to understand how much or how do you classify maybe you should start with that and then how much of it is being done remotely so i would classify remote work as is if you're not sitting in the same room with somebody you are working remotely in some way or not i mean you could be remote in the same building if some Mm -hmm. guy's on the 20th floor and Mm -hmm. you're on the fifth floor you're probably not going to run up to the 20th floor 
and ask that person a question, you're probably going to email them or instant message them or call them okay. to, in order to get your answer. Mm -hmm. So if you're not in the same room, you're remote on some level. Right. In which case, we have a lot of remote. I mean, really, then that's got to be some huge percentages remote. Then. It'd be a huge percentage. But in terms of like people who are telecommuting, I read a statistic um, that one in five workers around the globe are telecommuting. And I would define telecommuting as you're working for one particular company, um, but you're not working at the location. You are working mm. usually from home. Mm. Usually from home. And so I've read a lot of st statistics about um, <clears throat> which countries are more interested in uh, or allow for more, or as you say, telecommuting like this. What, what, give us an update on, on which of the countries which are, are doing more uh, remote work than others. It's super interesting. So I have these statistics um, that I had in, that I have in my book, and it was a it was a Reuters poll. It said twenty seven percent of telecommuters are in the Middle East and Africa. That completely surprised me. I don't know why. I just wasn't expecting that answer. Twenty five percent in Latin America. Twenty four percent in Asia Pacific, and nine percent in North America and Europe. Only nine percent. I really thought it was a much bigger number than that. But of course. The statistics show that all, 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 uh, all signs point to it's on the rise all mm -hmm. over the world. It's on the rise, mostly because technology is allowing for it. So then there's no reason to all meet at a specific location. And because technology allows for it, more and more people are trying it. And is there a nature in these other continents? Is there also the nature of the work that makes a difference and or the maybe lack of office building that make it work? I mean, why is it that it's so low in Europe and North America as opposed to these other countries? I think it's culture. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I think in other countries, I mean, I'm a lot of the people that I interview that are from South America and Eastern Europe, um, they are working remotely because they can find work in places outside of their countries that pays a lot more than what the work would be inside mm -hmm. their country. Mm -hmm. So they have more opportunities. Also, there's interesting projects that they can work on that they wouldn't have access to in their own countries. So um, I think that's one of the, mm. that's a huge driver because you have a lot of freelancers who are really passionate about what they do. They really love what they do and they're not going to settle for a boring desk job where they don't like their job. I mean, the world is their oyster at this point. There are, huge numbers of sites where you can go out and look for work. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's huge lists right. of sites. Like Fiverr. Work. Right, so like Fiverr. I mean, you might work for less money than maybe you'd make at a job, maybe, although I think that that's changing. Um, but you have the freedom to work on the projects you like the best, and you have the freedom of your own schedule. You have the freedom from the boot. I mean, you have the freedom to create your own workspace. A lot of people will take that freedom over the over the higher salary. A lot of people. All right, you mentioned culture, and uh, let's say that there's the broad generalization of this culture. Um, but within Europe, I mean, I know that the the breakdown is different in terms of how the cultures allow for more distance work and or uh, require more. You got to be at the office kind of attitude. If you if you um, were to break down three of the countries that I work in the most, it's the UK, France, and the US. Uh, does is there a, an overriding sense that one culture versus the other has more need to be in the office than than another? You know, I don't know if it's a country. I don't think it's a country culture that that dictates that. For instance, startups startups have a culture of 
not working remotely because they feel like they it's a fast pace. They need to be together. They need to be brainstorming. So in the startup culture, mm-hmm. remote work is not favored because mm. of because they feel that they can't get that high bandwidth, mm. you know, super fast communication. So it's funny. I don't think it's a I don't I think um, it's more divided amongst industry mm-hmm. and, you know, amongst developers. They've been working remotely for a long right. I mean, a lot of people have been growing up with games get mm. like World of Warcraft, which you mm. can play with people from all over the globe. So now kids are literally working remotely while playing a game, but they mm. are strategizing together. They're building plans. They're going out on missions They're And all of this with people they've never met and they don't share the same language. All right. So all right, I, let's, I want to probably get back into culture in another way, but um, in terms of uh, a company that, or companies that are doing it, do you think that all companies should then be doing it or are there some watch outs? Don't do it if you're like this kind of thing. Oh yeah, there's a no. No, not all companies should do that uh, for a variety of some. Some are not ready uh, for that. Some, you know, it's just it just doesn't make sense what for some it, companies to do that. Or what does it mean not be ready? If you are working in a in a company where the communication isn't so great amongst the employees, people don't really like each other. If you go remote, you will only enhance those problems. If your processes are really sloppy, I mean, nobody will admit that their processes are sloppy. But the thing is, is that when you go remote, your processes have to be really solid and people have to follow them. If you're colo, you can get sloppy when you're working together in the same place because you can just go around the corner and say, hey, Bob, where'd you leave that file? Hey, can you tell me the status on this? When you're remote, you can't really do that. If, if things get, if people aren't using the same place to organize the files, if you're not aligned around the same um, vision, you're 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 going to be lost quickly. Things will turn into chaos. And when people don't like each other in person, if you go online, they're even more they're less, I should say they're way less likely to get in to be in touch with each other because mm-hmm. now you're remote and you don't have to be in touch right. with each other. And why would you reach out to somebody that you don't even really like? Yeah. So I would say if you don't have the culture of people who are willing to work together and really um, be proactive together, then going remote is going to be a disaster for the business. Another bugbear of mine is that is, uh, and I think is, is, is relevant in distance learning and, and so much more is being on time. And some companies, uh, not to mention some countries, have a tendency to think that being 50 minutes late is okay or, or worse. So uh, how, how do you gauge that one when you're in a company that says, I want to do a lot more remote working, but you never show up on time? Yeah, what I the way I do the way I normalize that with the teams that I work with is that we as a team, every team that I work with, we come up with what I call a team agreement, which just defines how we're going to work together and the values that we share. So some companies, it's true, they don't value being on time. It's not something that, as part of the culture, it's not something that they do. So, you know, it could be that they explicitly state in the team agreement that, you know, the, the that's not a, it's not a big deal. It could be that they do explicitly state in the team agreement that as a remote team, we are going to be on time um, to the remote meetings. So that I solve that through creating these team agreements. It's defining 
the expectations that we have for each other are their core hours. Um, where are we going to share the files? How are we going to get in touch with each other? Are we going to communicate via Slack or email or instant message? You know, what are we going to pick up the phone? Uh, what is what is our what are our communication channels going to be? Um, you know, do we have a shared calendar? And how do we know what each other are doing? All of those things get a, get defined in the team agreement. And that, I mean, when we speak about culture, culture to me is defining what normal behavior is. And that could be normal behavior for the country that you live in. It could be normal behavior, um, yeah, for, for wherever you are. So, uh, you know, if you're a part of a running group, what is your what is the culture of the running group? What's normal behavior in that group? So I feel like a team agreement also helps define what is the culture of our team. And it allows, it actually opens up the dialogue for asking the questions about other people's culture. Because you start to say like, oh, I see, um, Fridays are is a day of prayer for the Muslim religion. So if you're working with somebody who is Muslim, then you want to respect that Friday, you know, for a certain time that they have their, their prayer time and that they will be offline and unavailable during that time. And then you get to ask all the questions like, well, why? Why is it Friday? And why? What kind of prayers? And, you know, then you you start to get to learn about people. And I think the team agreement is such it's the perfect opportunity to define those norms on a team. Hmm. And one of the one of the people that in fact, several people that I interviewed, they all said um, everybody has their own user manual. So, yes, we can we can quickly stare. It sure saves time to stereotype. Um, and we can kind of do that when we work with people from other countries. But in the end, we're still working with an individual who has their own preference. Mm. Um, and a, that by defining that through the team agreement, we can really define that for our team. I love that idea of the we all have our own user manual. And, and, and I think it, it brings up this other idea that you and I anyway um, have we weren't necessarily born with the Internet, not, you know, talking age. For sure not. <laughs> and and so we we've had so we've had to learn about this as adults. Children have have sort of adopted a, as a sort of just a, a breathing and brushing teeth kind of a thought, you know, quote unquote. But at the same time, with our user manuals, as we've gotten older, and especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know older executives who have, let's say, a hard-in-the-tooth user manual, we, we, we've we gone off and, and we have this multiple ways of, of dealing with a mobile phone. And, you know, for example, um, I wanted to take another idea. Well, before we do this meeting, let's turn off our mobile phones kind of approach. And and it's almost, I, I tend to want to think that there must be, in my mind, an international standard to how remote working should be done. And the reason why I go through that, I think of it like a business class lounge uh, principle. That is to say that remote working, in, certainly in my world, because that's sort of what, per, you know, this my filter, is I'm dealing with people from around the world. And so we have to be, have to have some kind of gap approach where, you know, united colors of gap, where we are all, operating in one vortex, which is this wire that's connecting you and me in Holland, or the Netherlands, I should say, and, and, and wherever else we're working. And therefore, there ought to be a standard time and a standard methodology with regard to these gadgets that pollute and disengage us from the conversation you and I are trying to have. 
that disengages. Yeah, if and these other things, these you know, when when if I'm looking at my phone while I'm doing this with you, and or beeping and bopping, and the notifications are coming on yeah. my screen. Well, this is bad for business. is is sort of my general thought, and I just can't believe that is a culturally different concept. No, I think that's a human thing. The problem with that is that some people have much different levels of stimulation uh, than others. So one of my colleagues, um, she can handle all the bips and the dings and the things coming in. Like she's got all these notifications. She seems to be able to just navigate it no problem. I am exhausted at the end of the day. If I've had slack and things are coming in and my phone's going off, I am exhausted by the end of the day. I totally can't handle it. I actually, I, I need to go offline at that point. I mean, it's the same with extrovert and introvert, right? There's some people that can be around others all the time. They get their energy from it. You know, and I, I love being around people too, but I get up on stage, I'll, I'll give my presentation and then I need to be offline and away from people for like a week to recover. You know, and there's others that, you know, they can just go all night. It's no problem. So it just, we all have different levels of what we can manage. That's what makes it so hard to do some sort of international standard. However, I would say that most people um, could could uh, focus a lot more and turn off the notifications and not multitask and to really focus on the task at hand and give what they're doing their full presence. And that would go a long way in the working world, not only in terms of getting work done, but also in terms of building relationships. Because when you're with somebody like right now, my, you know, my phone is gone. Things are gone. I am with you right now. I'm going mm-hmm. to give you my full attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that makes for a much more solid conversation, much more solid relationship. So I, 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 people could benefit from that. You're right. It's the world of distraction. There's no question. And, I, and as you say, it's, it's stuff that we need in our real world. So ultimately what you end up doing and somehow is, is, is like so much of this digital transformation I find is that it's uncovering the evils of our online world, our regular, no, I mean, offline oh, yeah. world, our, like our regular us. And it's, it accentuates other things. And, and, and by this, let's say, project of how to do more remote work, you end up looking underneath the hood and you end up actually fixing stuff like you should like each other. Like, you know, that's the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it's the human relationship that is, it is the real stuff, but we need all of this technology to connect. I think the problem with the technology too, is that it's highly addictive and that's what makes putting the boundaries up. So, and, and with remote working, there's no boss saying, well, you should be done by the day at 6 p.m. and then go home and spend time with your family. It's now up to each individual worker to put up the boundaries for themselves and to stick to their own boundaries. And that is really hard to do. I mean, I would love to say that I don't wake up in the morning and pick up my phone first thing. I would love to say that I go back to that over and over and over again. You know, I have a goal like, okay, this week I'm not going to look at my phone first thing in the morning. And I do it for a week and then I'm back to looking at my phone again. I mean, these are I think it's an ongoing struggle. It's only going to get worse as the technology gets cooler. I mean, once we start talking about virtual reality and actually going into that kind of mode in terms of working, it's only going to get harder to turn the devices off. And there's all these digital detox places and things popping up of like, okay, we need to disengage and turn off. And I think it's it's right. We do need to individually find our own balance that's healthy. And mm-hmm. that's hard to do. I think it's a huge challenge for the remote working world. Mm-hmm. Well, it is the the boon of technologies, and it is all not the bust, but it's certainly the uh, I don't know the other doom of technologies. Yeah, it, bring, 
it brings out the best and the worst in us, right? Like we can connect and have a really meaningful conversation and, you know, and you're in the UK and I'm in the Netherlands and it's, I have teammates from all over the world and that's super cool. And, you know, and at the same time, there's all these crazy distractions. That's, you know, it's making us kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. So, um, how, let me just last question for you, Lizette. Do you see that, uh, the remote is improving or is, is increasing everywhere. Do you think we're in for an officeless future? Is that something that we can imagine as you know companies look to try to improve their costs, you know, costs and all that? Uh, I certainly think offices are going to become less and less prominent. However, I think in the future, what's what I hope is going to happen is that we all have the opportunity to work where we're most productive in an office with colleagues and that's where we need to be in order to be productive, then I think that's, that's where we should be. If it means that we are in our home office, it means if we're on the road, wherever it is that we need to, that we can be most productive. I think that's where we, that's where the work should get done. Mm. So I don't know for each company, whether it's a good or a bad thing. Um, if, if they have an office or not, what I do know is that, um, I think that we should allow the freedom for people to choose where they're going to get their best work done. And we're going to need those meeting places. I mean, in office, people flock to co-working spaces after they've quit their day jobs and quit going into an office because they do need that place to go. They do need to be around people and they enjoy that. So they're, it's not like it's not necessary. We do need to be together in one place sometimes. But this hard and fast rule of you have to show up at 9 a.m., and then be productive for those eight hours, no matter what's happening in the day. I mean, if I had to work from nine to five every day, I would, I mean, I've done it before. I spent years and years and years, you know, I was, mm. uh, my career started in a cubicle farm and working like that. Um, it's, I just think that there's so much work getting lost in these environments because, you know, maybe somebody has to go out for a run in the middle of the day, or maybe you just need to go out and have a think like you're stuck on something you go out for in that you go out for a nice long walk and somehow on the walk, you know, the brain is churning and you're saying, you know, that somehow something happens and mm-hmm. you, and you do it. But how many times in an office, I mean, if I look back, how many times did people go out for a think just to walk around the lake and think about something? It never happened in any office that I worked in. Maybe it's more common now, but I just don't see it. You went, you, we, we began our podcast is that with freedom, we're kind of ending on it on freedom, have that freedom. So, um, Lizette, how can someone uh, follow you, track you down, uh, find out about your book? Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way is collaborationsuperpowers.com. All the information is there. And if I just Googled my name today for the first time in like six months. And Whoa. if you just Google my name, Lizette Sutherland, you'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm all over I'm all over everything that I've done in the last uh, five years. You've done there, a so. great job in personal branding and SEO. Yeah, indeed. indeed. And you're probably yeah, helped by having a, a good friends on that. And you're probably Sorry? helped by a name that's a little less less common too. The collaboration superpowers name. No, 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 Lizette. Sutherland. Oh, my name. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm not John Doe. That's exactly. true. Jane well, Doe. So, yeah. Lizette, you were wonderful. I love your energy. Thanks for coming on the show. And good luck with the book. And stay in touch. Thank you. I would love to. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors and need.
different way to rid me of the grave and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, 
or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.